in Luke chapter 5, it says in verse 1, So it was the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of the Lord. Then he stood by the lake of Gesserit, and he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Look at that word, nets, plural. Then they had gone into one of the, then he, meaning Jesus, had got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. You know Simon to be Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. But Simon answered to him and said, Master, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they had caught a great number of fish that their net was breaking. I just want to pause by saying, didn't Jesus say cast the nets, plural? How come there was one net? Now, just my, we'll talk about that. But that net was breaking. So he signaled to the partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw, he fell at the ground at Jesus' knees saying, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with them, they were astonished at the catch of fish, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when he had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and they followed him. I want to speak to you this morning on this message series, Open Heaven, because God has declared in 2019, I believe, an open heaven for us. And what that means is what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose down on earth will be loosed in heaven. Most people are waiting for God to take the initiative, and God's saying, I've given you an open heaven. I've given you the initiative to close the mouth of the accuser. I've given you the initiative to drive Satan out of your home, out of your health, and out of your emotions. I've given you the initiative. So today we're going to be talking about this Sunday and next about get the nets. Get the nets. God wants you to not get one net, but he wants you to get the nets because there is provision coming this year in Jesus' name. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We're trusting you and we're believing God at the promises are yes and they're amen. We shall get the nets and they shall be abundant in Jesus' name. And all God's men and women said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're really good looking and sit down. You are really good looking, by the way. I think about you and I today in this wonderful thing called life. How many of you know life is a journey? It is not a parking lot. Life has success, but success comes with struggle. And I think about that because I'm believing God in this message series on this open heaven. We're we're coming to the end portion of it. But if you've been with us in these Sundays, we've been talking about the miracles of Jesus and how he can perform a miracle in your life and in my life. In this message series, there is something called desire. Out of desire, you become a person that wants what God wants. Out of the desire. God says, by the desires of your heart, it will be fulfilled. Because I'm believing in this series as we start this new year that the Lord will give you the desires of your heart so you can have that inheritance, the benefits of a believer, the benefits of healing, the benefits of deliverance, the benefits of provision, the benefits of God giving you exactly what you need in the time in which you need it. All the benefits of God are there. As a matter of fact, that's why David said, bless the Lord. 
Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his what? Benefits. The benefits of God are yes and they're amen. To have an open heaven mentality is to neglect not the benefits, but to believe them at his word that he can do the impossible. When nobody else can come through, God can come through. Can I get a witness this morning for that? That's why... It's amazing to me, God starts this story with a fishing story. He starts the miracle with a fishing story. And the fishing story begins with really failure. It doesn't begin with success. It really begins with failure. It begins with not doing what you're supposed to be doing and catching nothing. These men were professional fishermen. They were supposed to catch fish for their livelihood, but the Bible says they fished all night and they didn't catch anything. That's important because I think in living a life of success, there's always to be a real success, to be a a significant successful person, there's always what I would call a double portion of failure. Anytime there's success, if you really look at somebody's life, how they got successful, how they had a great marriage, how they had a a culture of honor in their life and honored God, honored people, it really had a lot of failure in that successful journey. There was double portions of failure. I know that's not a great message to hear, but it's the truth. Because I think so many people, when they fail, they immediately shrink back. When God doesn't come the way they want them or they're believing for, they look at it as a failure and they begin to shrink back. When they go through situations and separations and setbacks and they go through disease or certain areas of, of their life that it's not what they believe for and what they necessarily wanted, they look at it as failure. But can I tell you, friends, failure is not final. Failure is a bruise, but many people treat failure like a tattoo. I thought about the guy recently who came forward for prayer, and he had a tattoo on his head, uh, his head, literally his head. He, was, he had his shaved head, and I don't know why people shave their head when they don't need to. That's just my personal issue, but, he, you know, he purposely shaved his head because you can see all the sprouts, and he had a tattoo of Oakland Raiders right here on his forehead, on the top of his head, and I thought, they're leaving Oakland. But I just thought about that, and I thought... That's a permanent thing. You need to grow your hair back because they're not very good anyway. But I was thinking that sometimes we treat failure that way. (laughs) Go New England. Now, I think, oh, come on. I'll try this side over here. You look friendlier. Okay, go Rams. Whatever. Whatever floats your boat. I think we treat failure so much like a tattoo. When really failure should be treated like a bruise, a bruise that should heal, a bruise that should teach us something. You won't touch a hot stove but once. A failure is not final. And I think failure is really a fertilizer to success. If you're going to succeed in life, you've got to be prepared to fail. You've got to be prepared to say, you know what, I know this relationship. Oh, man, I I know if, if God's in it, I want it to flourish. But if God's not in it, there might be an element of failure. There might be an element of failure starting that business. There might be an element of failure going through this situation. But you have to be prepared to fail if you want to succeed in life. What's the difference between people of success and people that don't succeed, one element in between them called failure. They push past the failure and they get to the promise. They push past the pain and they get to the promise. They push past the the mindset and the insecurity. They push past all that stuff and they do what God's called them to do, come hell or high water. They don't let failure become final. They let failure become a teacher to take them to their divine destiny. It's so important. 
Now think about this. This story today is fascinating. There are two boats on the beach. They're empty. Their nets have been washed. These frustrated fishermen, these were professional fishermen, by the way, they fished all night and they caught nothing. And the anger, the bitter words, they tell Jesus, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Not only were they angry because they caught nothing, but those have been the words of many people throughout the ages of history. Those angry words of unsuccessful fishermen now come to people who think they're unsuccessful in life. They've been, they've been on the lips of business people. They've been on the lips of, of salesmen and house moms and school teachers, construction workers, people of pastors, people of every vocation, of every walk of life, of every tribe, kindred, and tongue. Man, we've toiled all night and perhaps weeks, months, years go by and we don't see results what we want to see. Some of you in this room this morning, if we're on honest, you are frustrated with your life. You're frustrated with your life because of a marriage situation or a relationship situation. You're frustrated with what you think is a limited accomplishment. And now you're frustrated in your business. You've tried your best and it's produced nothing. As far as your natural eye can see, however, do you know every miracle of Jesus has a message in it? Every miracle and the message of this miracle holds the secret, I believe, to every spiritual, every financial, every personal, every uh, physical area in your life that makes the difference. And the message is try again. Try again. Turn to your neighbor and say, try again. They're not taking it so good. Turn to the other neighbor and say, try again you got to try again. If you're going to accomplish the destiny God has for you, you're going to have to learn to become persistent. Jesus got into Simon Peter's boat, and he gave him the command, launch out into the deep. Go out and do it one more time. There are reasons Peter could have said, no, I don't want to do that. Peter's a professional. He's a professional fisherman. He's lived on that sea his entire life along with his fishing partners. Now, who's Jesus? He's not a fisherman. He's an unemployed carpenter. He's a rabbi. What does he know about fishing, however? He's advising me, a professional fisherman. This is a, 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 set, a thought because I think first service is more smarter than the second service. So I think you're able to get this. But think about Peter. He must have been very successful in his career as a fisherman to forsake all for three and a half years, leave his fishing business, leave the provision. He must have stacked it up to leave for three and a half years. So he was a successful fisherman. All we know about that is he couldn't have had a house, his mother-in-law's house. We'll go see that in Israel in the next few weeks. We couldn't have seen Peter having so much success if we didn't see him forsaking his livelihood. He had to forsake it, and he had to say, I'll follow you. Now think about this man who's obviously successful. He's obviously had success in his profession, and he's, he's being told by someone who has no clue how to fish on how to fish. Have you ever been with somebody who's a know-it-all? Oh, yeah, don't look at your husbands. Right, look right at me. <laughs> know-it-all people, they have something to say about everything. They've never fished in their life, and they'll tell you how to fish. They've never been bald, and they'll tell you how to be bald. They, they've never done, they've never preached, and they'll tell you how to preach. And it's like, really? You try to preach your way out of a wet paper bag, you will suffocate. You get up here and go, eh, 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 God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. And we'll be bored out of our gourd. I think there's something about being told something when you don't think the person really knows what they're talking about. A level of trust has to be built. 
a level of trust has to be built. Jesus is an unemployed carpenter. He's being told by this professional fisherman, this unemployed carpenter, go out and launch out into the deep. It's the wrong time. They've already fished all night. I know Jesus was saying, you've tried your very best. You're frustrated. I know you're soaked to the skin, but I want you to try again. I want you to try it one more time. Charles Spurgeon said that it was by persistence that the snail got on the ark. By persistence, the snail got on the ark. Now, get that picture in your mind. It was the snail who got on the ark by persistence. If I'd have been Noah, I don't think I could have waited around for that snail. I think I would have grabbed him, maybe stepped on him, and maybe moved on. But by persistence, things began to happen. By persistence, it's our willingness, I think, to give another try whether, rather than make an alibi, make an excuse. How many of you know there are two types of ways to live? Those who do good and those who make excuses. There are people in this room that they make a career out of making excuses. They have excuses about everything. Relatives, you know, people, you know, they give alibis why their failures are the way they are and why they have the victim mentality. They, they even wear the card in their, in their pocket and they pull it out. It's the victim card. It's my, it's my upbringing. It's my disposition. It's the way I was raised. It's the color of my skin. It's, the, it's my hair. It's my lack thereof. It's how I this or how I that. And they made a life of alibis. Instead of a life of giving another try, of trying it one more time. I think persistence finds a way when other people find excuses. I think that's so important because you and I are not finished until we think we're finished. And if we think we're finished, then it's over. You have to be willing to try again because nothing is possible if you believe and try again. If you think you're beaten, then you are beaten. If you think you won't, you can't. And I know it's not proper English, but it preaches good. If you want to win, you got to think you can win before you can win. Hence why the Patriots will win. I think there's something. I'm teasing. Oh, stop it. I think there's something about a closed mind equals a closed heart. When you close your mind, you'll close out your heart. I think some people in this room, they, they're walking into this building, and they, they're literally, because of an upbringing and because of setbacks and not trying again, they automatically look to the floor because of insecurity, because of, because of how they were raised or the losses they went through. But you have to realize today, friend, you are a child of the Lord. You need to lift your head. You need to square your shoulder. You need to get back in the race, and you need to try it one more time. You can walk into the Oval Office with the president, no matter who that president is, and look down for nothing because the DNA of heaven is in you. You are an heir and a joint heir with God Almighty. You've got to think high to rise high. You've got to think high to rise high. Life's battles, you have to know this, they don't always go to the strongest. They don't always go to the swiftest. But sooner or later, the man, the woman who wins is the man or woman who thinks they can win. They believe they can win because they know God is with them. you got to get that in your mind. The person is winning because they think they can win. They think they can. With long life, he shall satisfy because you've tried and maybe you've failed. I'm telling you today by the Spirit of God, try again. Try it one more time. Have you washed your nets in essence in frustration? Can I tell you? Try again. 
Has Satan whispered to you in your ear, you're a fool to think you can succeed at that. I say to you, try again. The master of the winds and waves, he's telling you and I, launch out into the deep. Launch out one more time. Try it one more time. Maybe adversity has tried to take you down and you thought to yourself, I can't be successful in life. I can't be successful fully in my business. I can't be successful with fulfilling my dreams. I want you to hear the master of the winds and waves today as he walks down the aisles and tells you nothing is impossible to them that believe and who are called according to the purposes of God. You are royalty. God is with you. He's not against you. And learn to live that way in Jesus' name. I think about that a lot because I can hear God whispering to many of you, I'm still the mountain mover. I can still make a way where there seems to be no way. I can still cause the Red Sea to depart so you can walk through dry shod. I can still cause the mouth of the lion to be muzzled so you can lie down and rest. I can still cause you not to burn into the fire and you'll walk out without the smell of smoke upon you. I can still cause you to not drown in the water because I'm not the one that manufactures junk and I'm certainly not the one who sponsors flops. Quitters never win and winners never quit. If you've been knocked down, get up and try it one more time. It's time for your comeback. I think there's something to be said about people trying it one more time. Nothing is impossible to them that believe. Let's say it together. Nothing is impossible to them that believe. But the Bible, you have to realize, is a book of second effort and third effort and fourth effort and fifth effort. The Bible is a book of trying it again. You read about Moses when he was on the backside of the wilderness. He was public enemy number one. The crown prince of Egypt, because of a calling that God put on his life, he prematurely acts on it. He kills the Egyptian, and as a result, he's public enemy number one. He's hiding on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years, and it's God who sends the, the word through a burning bush and tells him, Moses, I want you to go back to the place of your failure, and I'm asking you to try it again. I'm asking you to do it one more time. How many of you ever heard of John Wesley? You ever heard of him? Many of you haven't. It's where we get the word, uh, the denomination Methodist, because they had a methodology of how they reached people for Christ. What many people don't know is John Wesley failed miserably. He wanted to be a missionary and come to America. He was born and lived in England at the time. And out of the anguish of his soul, as he went to America to be a missionary, he failed miserably. He went back to England thinking his ministerial life was over. He was thinking, man, I tried and I just couldn't fulfill my assignment. But out of that anguish swept a revival. Out of 12 men, John Wesley being the main one, this missionary who came to America and failed, he got back up and he tried it one more time. And he returned to England thinking his life was over, frustrated and failed. He discovered that his actual destiny hadn't even started at all. And out of that anguish, out of that failure, there was born a revival. If you study her church history, this, this revival swept England, it swept America, countless millions of people received Christ through the methodology back then of how God wanted it to happen, and it, take, it took off because of one man trying again. Have you failed? Are you frustrated? Have you toiled all night? Maybe you're here this morning and you've given up and you think nothing can come good of that joy. I can't start that again. I can't try that again. I can't love that again. I can't love that person again. Can I tell you, friend, nothing is impossible to them that believe. 
Nothing's impossible to them that believe. I'm looking this morning, and I can see you under these bright lights. Let me tell you, I can see you. I can see you. I can see you over here. I can see all of you back there. And you and I are gathered together today, and let me tell you what the gathering is. It's a royal gathering. I'm looking at the most royal gathering of people who has ever assembled under one roof. You are royalty. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. When you walked into the room, I want you to know demons trembled and angels went with you. Poor president, he has secret servants that go, but God says every child of mine. They've got angels on the front. They've got angels on the back. They've got angels going before them and behind them. And the best is yet to come because they are my son and they are my daughter. You are royalty. You need to square your shoulder. You need to lift your head. You need to live, love, and be happy. The best is yet to come. Can I get a witness this morning? It's a royal gathering. If, if you are truly royal, then you're not over. It's not finished yet. you got to try it one more time. And this miracle story, not only is it a story of second effort, but it's really a story of servanthood. It's important that you understand that because we talk about servanthood a lot in church life. But many people compartmentalize servanthood to meeting the needs of a church service or meeting the needs of a particular church. But that's not true full servanthood. Servanthood is giving our life to the Lord and the great cause of Jesus Christ. It's important that we understand that because Jesus taught the disciples something. He taught them to be servants before he ever called them to be disciples. He taught them how to serve. Before Jesus allowed these men to be with them in the kingdom, he showed them how to serve before he made them disciples. So what's your attitude towards serving? Again, many people think serving and they think of, well, the pastor's got to ask me to serve usher, serving the greetings, serving the children's. They need to serve this, serve that. And they have this image, this mental image of people serving. And if we talk about unbelievers, they think of servanthood as some pathetic creature, somebody bent over in spirit. Somebody who's dirty, wrinkled, a human mule, a mindless ox, a man or a woman who's three french fries short away from a happy meal. That's what they think of when they hear the word servant. What's your attitude towards serving in the kingdom of God? When you hear that word, do you just think and compartmentalize of usher, greeter, altar care, uh, serving in the ministry of music, serving in the ministry of, of this or that? Jesus said, if you've given a cup of water in my, in my name, you did it unto me. How about changing a diaper? I think it's a little better than giving a cup of water. You ever change a poopy diaper? It's no bueno. I mean, and I do, anyway, I'm not going to go there. You don't want to go shower. But when we hear these words, we think often, what is it that I'm called to do? You're called to be you. And in that calling to be you, God will tell you what you need to do. But the average person, when they hear these words servants, they think, I've compartmentalized it. Therefore, I can't serve in this capacity. I can't serve in this capacity. When God says you're to serve me night and day, your life is a servant unto me. Whether you're in a supermarket or at work and your neighbor next to you is cantankerous and mean and, they're, and, they, and they've been demon-possessed for eight years and you've worked next to them, you're not to retaliate evil for evil. You're retaliating evil for good because you're a servant of the Lord. You're a servant of the Lord. You're to put that shopping cart back even though nobody on the planet in Stockton does it. I, the guy and I the other day at Rayleigh's, I helped him out. 
he was doing this thing, and he was just a little bitty fella, and he was huffing and puffing. And I'm like, oh, bro, let me help you out. And he's like, man, you're strong. I'm like, yeah, and good looking. Come on, let me help you. Helped him bring all those carts in together. What was I doing? I was serving the Lord. I wasn't serving him. He was too little. I was serving the Lord. And what I'm telling you today is something is so important about having a servant heart. Because if you serve the Lord, you'll be elevated. You've got to try again. And I'm encouraging you today, if you try again, the secret sauce to this element of trying again has to be mixed with servanthood. You have to mix it with servanthood. I read a, a great book years ago, and, it, and out of this book, it was called The Beatitudes by J.B. Phillips. And in this book, he talked about the, the Beatitudes of Jesus and how phenomenal Jesus' Beatitudes are. Why? Because they're the attitude to be. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say the Beatitudes. But his Beatitudes were accommodating the 21st century. And he said the Beatitudes of this generation go as following. Blessed are the pushers, for they always get their way. Blessed are the hard-boiled, for they never get hurt. Blessed are they that complain, for they always get the attention. Blessed are the blasé, for they never worry about their sins. Blessed are the slave drivers, for they always get results. Blessed are the greedy, for they always get what they want. And those kind of things appeal to 21st century people. But they're not to appeal to Oasis Church and a culture of honor we are establishing here. They're not to appeal to a church that is called to be salt and light. A church that is called to be cohesive in a community, to love one another and be an influencer. But that influence starts with honor. Honoring God. Honoring one another. But we live in a society today that doesn't honor anything or anyone. They want to honor themselves. So they want to come up quick and do what they need to do to come up. And God says, no, the greatest among you, the greatest among you is the servant of all. Jesus said, the greatest will be the servants, the one who don't have the title, but they've got the towel, the one who's looking for ways to be a blessing. They're looking for ways to get people to the house of God. They're looking for ways to be an influence of salt and light. That's the culture that we want to establish here at Oasis. That's why the building is built and aesthetics are the way they are, to get you an environment of faith, hope, and expectancy, to let you know that we're here to love the Lord and to help people, no matter what they are, not just to serve where the needs are. And we have lots of needs. We need usher. That's, that's irrelevant. You, if you serve the Lord, out of that, God will speak to your heart what you need to do. That's why it's so important as we get ready to close our time as Pat comes. It's so important to realize that your life, when you honor the Lord, you're serving God. Every time you honor God and you're giving, I can't tell you enough how important it is because you're sowing a seed out of a servant's heart. Out of a servant's heart. You ever realize that when you give to the Lord? You sometimes, if you're like the Stillman home, you give out of, not out of abundance, but you're giving out of, man, this is, this is a lot to give when you give tithes and offerings above. And you look at that and sometimes you go, man, that's a lot. But we, we do it because we're servants of God. We do it because we serve the Lord. We're servants of God. My servanthood started long before I ever spoke in a microphone. When I gave my heart to the Lord, I'll never forget the... The, the elements that God always uses to, to help you to try again and realize that there's something for you to do. I was 22 years old. I gave my heart to the Lord. And when I was 22, I, I've already been on my own since I was 11. So I wasn't coming out of college or 
Bible school or theology classes or seminary. I got saved out of a rough environment. I was on my own since I was 11, and I've established since I was 11 because I vowed I would never be homeless like my dad. I'm not going to be a, a drug addict like my father. I'm not going to be violent to, to people like my dad. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something better. But I didn't have the ingredient of Christ, so I, I established material things, cars and money and that, that lifestyle that, that I was living at the time. I had, I had material things for a young man. I had different car for every day of the week and motorcycles and my own place to live, bought and paid for, no mortgage payment, paid for it in full. So remember black and chrome, my whole house was just, it was so dialed nice until Jennifer ruined it. And she came in and ruined that house in Sacramento, I gotta tell you, it was so nice. It was like my bat cave. She ruined it with all her plum and her purples and all the, I don't know what she did to it, but it just doilied it up and I didn't wanna come back. I'm teasing. But I had given my heart to the Lord, and I was radically saved. I mean, I just didn't get partially saved. I got changed. I got changed. And I had always been a person being on my own since I was 11 because of instinct and survival mode of you, you just have to do whatever it takes to come up. And so I'd work hard, but, you know, I, you know I'm not... I'm not, a, I'm not an angel. I, you know, I, I don't want to give, confession's not good for our soul this morning, but you get my point. So I had, I had a lot of material things. And I'll never forget the home church where I got saved there in Roseville. The pastor said one Sunday morning, this was before I ever traveled, he said, we're going to be sending kids to Donnie Moore's camp and we need help raising money. And I thought, well, I can, I can give money. He said, the greatest help we need is people helping to sponsor the kids outside, we're going to do a car wash, a fundraiser. And so I knew I could give some money because I had some. But this is like the Lord spoke to my heart and says, you need to go and help them. And I thought, well, I, I guess I could go help the kids. And so here I'm 22 years old and I've, I don't, you know, I was, I, I really look different back then than I do today. I mean, I had hair back then, believe it or not. One length down to my lower back, my goatee was down to the middle of my chest. I was 320 pounds, and I've got prison tattoos, not storehouse, not bought by, by the local tattoo shop. I mean, I had jailhouse tattoos, big ones. I've covered them since because they were gang-affiliated. But so, you know, I, I, I did not look like a born-again believer that was ready to facilitate church stuff. And I'm out there with the kids, and I'm thinking, I'll help them. You know, I'll be an encouragement to them. And I found the pastor says, you need to take this sign, Joey, and go out in the front of the, the road. We'll wash your car for free, donations. And so I'm out there, 320 pounds, and I'm just kind of out there. And I'll never forget people pulling in and the feeling that I felt as they were giving me money and going, oh, it's so good that you got your life right, young man. I bet you're living here in the, in the basement of the church because you're right out of prison. And what they were assuming that I was a down and out person, that I was doing this as some form of penance to, to accommodate my stay at the local church house because I had just got paroled. They didn't realize I'd drive a different nice car every day to help them. And what God was doing, he was getting me ready for servanthood. He was getting me ready to show what a person that loves God should do. And I'll never forget one day, one of the pastors of the church came and he said to me, Joey, I've watched you out here every day. Because what turned into a few days, I did it for almost a month every day, 
to help those kids. But more than helping those kids, I think God was helping me. He was helping me realize what it means to serve him and what it means to humble yourself. Because for me as a 22-year-old man, it was very humbling for the people to think I was some low life because I did everything in my power not to be a low life. That's why I did material things so it would look like I had it going on. It would look like I was established. And it would look like that I didn't have an upbringing like that. You see what I'm saying? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It would look like I didn't have that. But I was so broken inside. I was so wounded. I was so abandoned. I was so abused inside. God was breaking down that wall. And he was tearing that thing apart. And I'll never forget the pastor said to me, he said, Joey, this is one of the most beautiful things I've seen is you out there helping those kids with a sign. And he pulled me aside and he says, I know you don't have to do it. He says, I know you have resources. He says, I see you pull up every day in these beautiful vehicles, different ones. He says, I know your heart and I know what God is doing in that heart. And he encouraged me to keep helping. And what it began to do was soften my heart to get me to realize that if you're going to be a believer and have a culture of honor, You've got to honor those who can't honor you back. And you've got to honor those who can't honor you back. I'd never met the man Donnie Moore. I didn't know him at the time. I didn't, I've never met him. This is, I just got saved. I gave my life to the Lord. And here comes a man of God. Shortly after, takes me under his wing and fathers me for years and shows me what it means to be a great man of integrity and a man of God. And I tell you that to say you never know what God can do if you'll try it one more time. If you'll just step out and say, I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try life again. You know, many people at 22 years old, they don't try life again when they've lived such an abusive background. They just stay stuck in the rut. Many people at 40 years old, they don't try it again because they're so used to failure. They're so used to a, a same routine. But I'm telling you, if you want something you've never had, you must do something you've never done. And I'm telling you today, there are times and places where God's calling you to greater service. And I'm not referring to helping in the children's ministry and not, and not going to tell you now we're going to take needs for children. And No, no, no. You don't know. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm even communicating to you. I'm telling you today, by the Spirit of God, your life is a life of service. That's why when you honor God and the tithe and the offering, it's giving God your service. You're serving the Lord. You're saying, I can't go to those regions. I can't go and give out that food for helping hands. I can't go and help those missionaries in other countries. I can't go there on my, but I can go there with them by serving them. I can go there. I can't. I can't lead everybody to Christ because I don't know how to preach like Joey and I don't know how to, how to do those scriptures like him, but I can be kind and help with the cart. I can help my neighbor mow his lawn. I can help that person at work who they're very cantankerous and I wish they would leave, but until they leave or I leave, I'm going to honor them. Oh, I just keep it real, just keeping it real. But I think you and I have a great opportunity this year to try it one more time. And in the trying again, find a place and find somebody to serve and help them. And in you helping them, God will elevate and help you. You receive that word today?